Welcome to episode 20 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton, and we're coming to you today uh, before a trip to Seattle, which, as we have seen in the past, has been something of a home series for the Toronto Blue Jays, um, which, and actually has fans, which is a change of pace from what they saw in Oakland, although those jokes are cheap and it's not the Oakland fans' fault and yada, 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 all those disclaimers. Um, Stone, what are your big impressions of what we've seen since we last talked, which I guess covers the Rays series and then also what happened in Oakland? I mean, it's not been great, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, not to be glib about it, like the tragedy with the Mark Wodzinski, uh, his family and his, his daughter passing away, that's obviously weighed heavily on them. And, you know, they'll be the first to say they don't want to make excuses, but that's obviously tough as it is playing, you know, five, five games in four days as is immediately then going cross country uh, as is Alec Manoa, not really having uh, his best stuff as is, you know, a, a, a lot of things, you know, it sort of conspired to make this uh, uh, a real downer moment in the season, I think. And, uh, you know, we were talking to stop air, but, how it's real nice to not be talking about a six-game losing streak right now, and it was kind of by the skin of their teeth, but uh, hopefully that sort of uh, sets the mood right and, and puts them on the upswing and they can get a big crowd in Seattle, which they should for this weekend series, as they always do, uh, and you know feel like those are home games, and the Mariners are going to be tough. Like They're, they're playing pretty well, um, but you know the, the Blue Jays are going to be tough for anybody as well, so... Uh, you know, I, you just you, you hope that that uh, that this is all sort of behind you, and that you can kind of have a good, fun atmosphere in Seattle, and and uh, go hit and pitch the way that they can. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Rays are always tough. I think a lot of people um, they ruled out the Rays when they had so many injuries and said this isn't the same team. Well, Tampa has been characterized by its depth in recent years, and we saw that over the weekend. They had a lot of position players missing, but they were still able to hit. They had a lot of pitchers missing, but they still were able to miss the Blue Jays' bats. And, you know, the offense had been really hot until the end of that Tampa series. And then into the Oakland series, yeah, it's a, it's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to go on the road. You don't want to make excuses because Oakland is a, is a terrible team. And so when you go on the road and play a terrible team, you want to get a couple wins out of that. Uh, it, the, the thing we talked about, I think, early in the season when the Blue Jays' offense was struggling, it is sometimes hard to analyze what's going wrong with poor hitting because it's sort of a lack of events um and we know hitting major league pitching is hard and sometimes you get in situations where you know even a not a great pitcher can have a good outing against you or you just face some good pitching and so it's tough to blame that on the offense being poor or the hitting coach or the plan or whatever it was i do want to shout out like james caprillion though because he's in the middle of a, just an awful season and so i like to really evaluate the Blue Jays' uh, performance against terrible pitching. And uh, <laughs> he's been a bad pitcher this year. He doesn't miss any bats. He walks a bunch of guys. You know, ERA in the fives, fit to match. And he basically just pounds the zone with like a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. So when they don't do well in that scenario, um, it's a little bit of a different one for me. Like, I, I, I did kind of think, oh, that is actually a little bit discouraging. But on the pitching side of that game, you know, you get Barrios... And then you get two innings from Simber and then you get that, you know, Romano looking as good as he can look. And that is, you know, that's how you draw it up. That's the roadmap for how this team wins. It's a good starting performance. It's a bridge guy who's probably been their most consistent bridge guy for the last couple of seasons. And, and it's Romano being a top-notch closer. And it's uh, that's been more elusive than they would have thought heading into 2022. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, you know, uh, he was he was Trent Thornton was ready to take the ball all the time, but uh, uh, not exactly losing any sleep over him not being here at the moment. Though, and, and you know, it's good. the path for him to get back is going to be tough, I think, because you know, you know, I don't know that Anthony Banda is going to be the guy who uh, <laughs> who steals anybody's job. Sergio Romo, we'll see. Um, but obviously, you know, the clock is ticking and there's going to be replacements in the bullpen coming. And, and uh, oh boy, they could use them because, you know, you're right. Simber has been super reliable there. Tim Mays has looked a little bit off. Romano's been great. Like, they're just, a, you know, the blueprint is there because there isn't a whole, a whole lot of other options for the blueprint. I do think you, you made an interesting point about Caprellian and that and walking guys, which I think, you know, I haven't looked, I don't have the numbers in front of me right at the moment, but uh, that, it definitely seems like, the Jays haven't been walking as much. I forget, you know, what the specifics were during this series. Uh, but it also strikes me that when they finally started to turn their season around hitting-wise, it was, oh, hey, they're having better at-bats, they're walking more. And that was sort of, you know, you could draw a parallel between uh, them taking walks a bit and their offensive success. And uh, maybe that's something they've gotten a little bit out of, and hopefully that's something that they can correct. Uh, they've shown they can do it a little bit more than they have, I think, recently. Yeah, selectivity definitely looks good on this team. Biggio is the guy who's known for it, but Vladdy, when he's going, his you know his walk to K can get close to one. Um, you know, Alejandro Kirk is really good at working in a bat. They do have guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Gurriel Jr. that are kind of there to hunt their pitch and not work the count as much. Boba Shets like that as well. I don't think this team's mm-hmm. ever going to walk a ton. But as you said, when the offense has been really going at league best levels, they have been at least if not working uh, working walks, working counts. And that makes a huge difference in terms of the quality of the pitches you get and you don't end up reaching out and making soft contact and all that stuff. You touched on a transaction, and it's we're getting too deep into this podcast not to mention the latest transaction, which is Anthony Bonda. Do you have any thoughts on the latest uh, Toronto Southpaw acquisition, which was uh, coming their way via the old cash considerations, which I was texting... Uh, a friend of the show, Ben Nicholson Smith. And I was like, what, how much cash do you think that actually was? <laughs> I, I, I go back and forth on it. I, it's like, it's a shame they never announce it because I know that sometimes it's comically low. Like they're basically just giving a player to someone because you have to have some compensation coming the other way for it to be a trade. What do you think that that looks like in this case? And what do you think of Bonda so far? <laughs> I mean, I don't really have a strong take on Bonda so far. Um, it's sort of we're in the. I mean, they they picked up Matt Peacock as well off waivers from the Royals. Uh, Pirates and Royals castoffs probably not uh, not going to turn the bullpen's fortunes around. Though Bonda has been an interesting guy, been in a few uh, you know other places, and the Pirates certainly uh, have let go of some guys on the pitching front that uh, that have come back to bite them. So you know that, that's that's nothing about him that makes me like <laughs> encouraged about what uh, what the Jays could get there. But one, at least they're recognizing the problem. I mean, that would be insane if they weren't. Uh, you know, they, they do need help back there. They are kind of hamstrung by the the fact that they they don't have a ton of guys. You know, they can they can have option up and down. Like I, I think they have a lot of spots sort of taken up by guys who are not going to be sent to Buffalo, uh, and they're maybe you know trying to work that uh, work that out a little bit. Um, because that's, you know, just churning their roster like that is, you know, that's what the Rays do. And, and I think that the limits on the bullpen maybe make that those kind of guys even more valuable because you could just shuttle, shuttle them back and forth to AAA. Um, you know, the Jays right now are logged, you know, Romano, Meza, 
David Phelps, Simber, like those guys aren't going anywhere. You don't have a ton of bullpen spots to work with once you start going down that list. Uh, and right now, you know, Romo can't give you option as well, though that might not matter. Um, but yeah, Bond, sure, fine. I don't know if it says good things about where they think uh, uh, Taylor Saucedo's health is, but I don't know that that's also a, a make or break thing the, uh, for the season. But, you know, just bring some guys in here, try some things out, see if you can if you can get somebody to do something that that is different or that that you can help unlock. I mean, the 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 reputation has maybe faded a bit because of the Kikuchi thing uh, this season of Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and and the the whole the pitching lab and what they're able to do in terms of you know fixing guys. But uh, but that, that's still there and that's sort of the name of the game. So you know we'll see. But Bob is interesting because he started throwing a sinker I think in the last couple outings with uh, with Pittsburgh after throwing a four sinker and just having it like destroyed all year. So I don't know what they're, you know, I, I, I don't even recall, you know, in, the, uh, in his period, first appearance if he was going, if he went back to the four seam or what they're ex- exactly doing. But there's maybe going to be a feeling out process and, uh, um, you know, you just you hope for the best. And unfortunately, you're going to see some of these guys in situations where you probably don't want to. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be, we'd be hard pressed to say Bonda is sort of an exciting acquisition and he's someone who has all these amazing tools and they're going to turn them around and it's a steal or anything like that. He He's quasi interesting. Yeah. Um, like you said, he does have that kind of newfangled sinker. Uh, he did throw it in his first outing with the blue Jays, 38.5% of the time, which uh, sounds like a more interesting number as a percentage. It is five times he threw five sinkers. Um, <laughs> one of yeah. them resulted in an out. So there you go. It was hey, a round ball. Right. Um, you know, he, he throws, he can throw relatively hard from the left side. He does have the changeup. He did have a little bit of prospect shine at one point, but, you know, he's 28 years old, so it's hard to put too much stock in that at this point. I wouldn't be shocked if he was okay, but the statement, I would not be shocked if he was okay, basically applies to just about any pitcher you could pick off the scrap heap. Like, you can always point yeah. to, oh, here is a trait, here is a pitch that is quasi-interesting. Like, no one makes the majors with a fastball that's 88 with no spin and no secondary pitches that do anything interesting. Like everyone you're going to get, you can talk yourself into. Uh, I could talk myself into Bonda, but he's, you know, like many of the players at the back end of this bullpen or back end from a depth perspective, not from a yeah. game perspective. <laughs> to, um, be clear. to be clear. Many of these guys, like they're as good as their last three outings. Like if he gets shelled a couple times, there's really no leash because maybe there is a scenario where like Bondo has four bad outings, but if you really stick with him, like he's good down the stretch, but they just don't really have that kind of time to figure it out. Like the problem is so acute. Um, And to be fair, Jimmy Garcia is coming back relatively soon. And I think that his, you know, the, his ability to stabilize this group has maybe uh, been underrated a little bit. Like, he's been mm-hmm. very solid all year. He's had a couple of blow-ups. Everybody has a couple of blow-ups. But he's got sort of the th- mid-threes ERA, and he's got the expected ERA down in the twos, which is pretty impressive. The thing with him is that his velocity was down a little bit, and the Ks were down. But as the season has worn on, the velocity and Ks have come back up. Like, his last nine outings, he has 12 Ks in eight innings. And if he is more of that guy who misses bats, I don't know if you could call him a flamethrower. He's not quite there from a raw velocity standpoint. Like he, he is a lot of what they're missing. Yeah. And 
I don't know. It's very lazy to be like, oh, the guy who's coming back from injury, like that's the truly great acquisition. Like that's become such a cliche. It's like, oh, we don't need to do anything at the deadline. Our deadline acquisition is the guy we already have. But there's a little bit of that <laughs> there with Garcia. Uh, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, and it, it definitely has been noticeable how the velocity has improved and the strikers have improved. He was definitely better in May and June than he was uh, in April. Uh, I do feel like they need like three Jimmy Garcias and not just the one at this point, which is you know. They're set up for that. They certainly, they certainly have enough place, placeholders currently in the bullpen where uh, you're not going to cry if you have to DFA Banda and Romo because you've actually brought in like real, you know, swing and miss like stud relievers, which is which has to be the goal. Which which you know they you know the, we can talk about the starting pitching we have all year a lot. They, they've got three guys. Hopefully, Barrios. This means he's figured it out. Uh, you know, talking in a few more starts. But like the you know the front ro- front of the rotation is going to be fine for for the playoffs like like capable of winning playoff series on their own which is uh, which is a good place to be but like yeah the, obviously the, the the bullpen is where they're going to have to make their biggest uh, mark on the trade the trade market and uh, and yeah there are spots they, there are spots to do that they just they've got these placeholders that they're just sort of taking a flyer on for the moment uh, which is tough which is tough because like I say. You know, you're going to see Sergio Romo in a sixth inning where he probably does get shelled at, at some point, if it even lasts that long for him to get, you know, non-garbage time uh, appearances. So uh, we'll see. He's been interesting so far, actually. Yeah, we, I mean, you mentioned the trade deadline, and that is, you know, it's less than a month away. I think you're going to see coverage of the Blue Jays, probably including this podcast, be, if not dominated by trade deadline talk, it's going to be a huge part of it. And throughout the whole season, there's been sort of the three buckets of what do they need. And one has been the left-handed bat. And we talked about that a lot early in the season, especially when the when the uh, lineup was struggling. You've got the starting pitching, which is something that personally I've always been like, ah, I think they have basically enough, especially if you think of the playoffs as being a three- or four-man rotation. Um, and that statement is getting a little shakier over time. Uh, yes. Poten- potential potentially still holds up, but it is uh, my thoughts on that are definitely shifting a little bit. And then you've got the relief pitching. So right now, I think you and I would probably agree that you prioritize that in reverse order, right? Like the first most important thing you need to do is get this team relief help, then a starter, then a bat. Or would you put that in a different order? No, I think that I think that you're right. I mean, I th- I think that you know you can't. I, I don't think you can waste your time too much on like a, a starter to slot in between Barrios and Stripling. Oh, and, uh, or, you know, some people to this point would say ahead of Barrios, which I think is even, you know, you paid so much money, you paid so much prospect capital to get him last year. If we're going to use that term, uh, like he's your guy and he's, he's that guy for a reason. And I mean, at some point, yeah, you have to sort of respond to what's happening in front of you, but I don't think that that's going to be, the thing yet because of all the things we've talked about all year that he's you know the stuff is still there the velocity is still there uh when it looks good it looks good it's just it's been, it's been a matter of consistency and, and i i still have no doubts that they'll figure that out by which i mean no some doubts, but, yeah. some doubts but, like, no notes, but, no. but i think that that's like you know you you you're riding you're riding that horse i mean that that, that horse is in the stable to belabor the metaphor um yeah i think it's got to be the the uh the relief help first a guy who can you know a guy who can do just what you even hoped kikuchi could do like but with a floor maybe you know yeah you need a tanner roark uh <laughs> to come in and just like 
not to be like what you'd hoped Roark would be, not what he showed up as. The ceiling, the floor raising fifth starter guy, the, a, a Ross Stripling ish kind of guy. Uh, who can go a couple times through the order and give you some innings. That, that would be a nice luxury for them to have. They can sort of patch it together, I think, otherwise. They, they, they should be thinking more about, about the bullpen. And the left-handed bat thing, I mean, Kevin Biggio looking good is, is a huge thing. You just wrote a piece about uh, the future leadoff hitter, Ricky Henderson-esque, uh, Ramel Tapia. Yeah, that, to be fair, that's not how I framed it. Um, no, it's but, not how you framed uh, it. No, no he, he's been good. He's been good for the last sort of six weeks. And he he hit the ball a lot harder this year than he ever has. Like the he's hitting a lot of ground balls, but that in the context of him, it's actually a significant improvement because last year he basically only hit ground balls. Right. This year he's, <laughs> his his ground ball rate is essentially what Vladdy's is, is, which I mean that's a conversation we had about Vladdy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but that gives you sort of an impression, and there's a little bit of more juice in that bat. And you know the the year long numbers look terrible because he just got off to the worst conceivable start with this team. I I don't know. I don't think that Tappy and Biggio means like you don't get a left-handed bat because you can get guys who present a much bigger deterrent than they do. But I don't. I do think that how well they've done, and I think it applies to Biggio more than Tapia, to be honest. Um, sure. How well they've done makes it feel less acute. It makes it feel less urgent. And part of that too. The other part of that picture is the fact the rest of the lineup has been so much better over the last little while as well, like the best offense in baseball over a decent period of time. And they've been really good against right-handed pitching too. Like it's not like this team just destroys every southpaw they see and then against righties they struggle. They're the third best team against right-handed pitching by OPS today. And I don't know, there, you know there's the odd reliever that's going to come in and you're going to be like, damn, seeing uh, you know Vladdy and then Kirk and Hernandez, like they, he really made them look bad. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a left-handed bat here? But... I don't know for a one year rental, like how many at bats, how many innings are you really talking about where that one specific right-handed reliever comes out and he's the guy who specifically has the stuff to get these guys who are good against righties anyway. I think it's easy to imagine that as a scenario, but you don't want to, you don't want to manage a team and you definitely don't want to build a team to an incredibly specific in-game scenario. And so I would caution the Blue Jays about going too far to get that left-handed back because I'm not sure how much that's needed in the context of all their other needs like you could always say yeah sure get an upgrade because that's good become better but in the hierarchy of needs i don't think it's as high as sometimes people present it yeah i I think that's i think that's that's probably fair to say yeah um i mean yeah get an upgrade i mean zach collins is on the bench right now and i guess they like the three catcher thing but like uh, yeah, that shouldn't be a thing. He, no, no. I mean, it, it, you know, is it like is it Andrew Benatendi an ideal guy? For example, uh, yeah, I think he could play in the outfield, and certainly when he's on the bench would be would would be an interesting option for them to have. You know, that's not he's probably not going to uh, change the team too much. I think also that like Alejandro Kirk has been, uh, you know, has been a, a godsend for them in that in that sense, and in the sense that what they've been searching for really, you know, we talk it gets talked about a lot in terms of left and right, but it really, and I think you'll hear them put this is like they it, they they need a different look. They need to make a pitcher think differently, and uh, compared to some, compared to like Guriel and, and Teoscar and Bojun, except you know guys who are going to go up, up there and hack and 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 try hunt the hunt the mistakes and hunt their pitch. Uh, to have a guy with Kirk like Kirk, who's a little, you know, Vlad has a little bit of that too, but he doesn't strike out as much as Vlad. But like Kirk, you know, can can just can cover the plate exceptionally well and can foul balls off and can do all sorts of things with the bat and, uh, that uh, 
that those guys don't. He's just not, he just is a, it's a, it's a bigger challenge. I think sometimes for pitchers to, uh, uh, to deal with an abat of his, even though, you know, the outcome of a mistake against Teoscar may be, I mean, at least in years past would have, would have been, uh, the damage would have been significantly more than Kirk. And now this year that's changed as well. Um, so I think, you know, I think he does, uh, function in the way that we sometimes think about like what they need in terms of like a guy from the other side. Yeah, that's a really good point because when I think of even when I was kind of drawing up that you know that scenario on the fly of oh here's a late game situation and it's you know it's Vladdy, Teoscar, and Kurt coming up, I was trying to envision like who's the reliever that can get all those guys, and I'm not sure there is a guy who perfectly fits to all their weaknesses, and it is because Kirk is so much different than those other guys. And when it, there were times when it would have been Vladdy, Teoscar, and Guriel, for instance, in the past. Yeah. And that that can be kind of samey. And I can envision in my head, and again, this is not very scientific, but I could close my eyes and envision a guy just kind of throwing those Frisbee sliders from the right side and getting all those guys reaching because that's something Vladdy does at his <laughs> worst. It's something that Teoscar does kind of all the time anyway, even when he's going well. Uh, and it's definitely something Guriel does because he tries to get out in front of those off-speed pitches and hit them. So Kirk, like you said, even if he's not a lefty, he does part of what a lefty would in theory do. Yeah, Benintendi is an, an interesting ad. There's a reason why his his name has been on the trade block for a long time and why he's been linked to the Blue Jays. You know, When I was researching my piece on Tapia, it, it did really occur to me that in terms of the contact they make, Benintendi and Tapia are very, very similar. And basically, Benintendi is a Tapia who walks and uh, plays better defense. And that is, and I'm not saying that doesn't have value and that wouldn't help this team, but it was funny because I think there's a lot of people <laughs> that hold Benintendi in high esteem because he, you know, he had that great start to his career with the Red Sox and he became a little bit more of a name that maybe outstripped sort of his tools. He's fine. He's good. He's a good contributor. He's kind of an average corner outfielder. But the idea that bringing him in would make this huge difference, I'm not sure is something I'd buy. <laughs> I, I wouldn't shock me if he's faster than Tapia as well. I think that uh, uh, there are aesthetic things about Tapia, and not you know not just the you know the, 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 that he's a man of color per se, but also just just because of the way that that he moves on the field and on the base paths, like he's there's there's a lot of effort there. It feels like he's a faster guy than he than he is. I think if you look at the sprint speed charts on uh, on baseball it's savant, come, he's like he's like Chapman esque. Yeah, it, I probably have. Yeah. But it, early in the year, it was like weirdly low. It was in the 40s or something. And you're like, what is going on? And now it's at 72. <laughs> so Okay, well, that's better. That's respectable. Uh, Chapman's for, for the Blue Jays, that is actually, uh, yeah, that's decent. Chapman is actually like low-key fast, sort of in that D- Danny Jansen mold where nothing's ever going to come of it. But um, <laughs> right. a, computer, a computer has identified it. Yes. Um, and it will it has no function whatsoever danny jansen also <laughs> while we're on the topic of me accidentally mentioning his name once is another guy who's coming back fairly soon there you um, go there's another there, there's another big trade de- deadline acquisition there you but go. also like, when you can get jose bautista the deadline right nothing, <laughs> you have to do it i you know you're not wrong when um, he replaces zach collins i could be convinced that or he replaces Gabriel Yeah, I could be convinced that you send Moreno down. And I know that some people would disagree with that. And he does, you know, he does give you more options with how you deploy Kirk. He has looked good behind the plate. But right now, 
he's, you know, at the plate, he looks like a sort of slap hitter, um, which is sort of what he was in AAA, but he, he really hasn't generated much power. He really has swung probably a little bit too much. He's not striking out, which is definitely a positive. And again, I'm not trying to bury the guy. He's 22 and he's a catcher. So, you know, saying that he hasn't been super impressive offensively at the MLB level is not an indictment by any means. But I think that earlier when Moreno's numbers were superficially really good, you might have been able to say, oh, well, let's keep Moreno because not only is he this third catcher and this defensive option and the guy who unlocks Kirk, but he's also got the speed and maybe you bring him off the bench to pinch hit against a lefty or something which they did not do with Biggio uh, yesterday, which kind of shows you where they think they're at. He doesn't really have offensive utility beyond he's going to start and hit eighth or ninth. So I don't know. Do you think you would send down Moreno right now to get reps or would you um, keep him on board? Yeah, I would I would send him down, uh, which feels weird. It feels like, I mean, while we were banging the drum for him to get called up, felt like that was not going to be where we would be at at this point. But there are there are just so few at bats to go around, and I, I think that you know the way that Kirk has played, you know, demands that he's in there all the time. I think Danny Jansen, you know, what are you going to do? Relegate Jansen to to a couple days a week? Like I don't think that's the right way to use him either. Like not in the the moral sense, though maybe somewhat. But also, you know, he's a valuable guy back there. The staff likes throwing to him. They like the way he calls the game. With you know, I, I'm not a catcher ERA believer, but also. You know, I think that that some of the some of the pitching uh, that has gone sideways since Jansen left and, and been on, has been on the shelf, and uh, I'm at least curious. Uh, if, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying you know correlation is causation, but uh, I'm curious to see if what effect his return has, and I think he should be in there behind the plate a lot. I think he's he's shown that he's that you know an everyday catcher, and he's been a guy that they believe in defensively, game calling wise for a long time. We saw a bit with the bat. Would love to see more there. Uh, I think you got to give Danny Jansen big league plate appearances over Moreno at this point. You have to have Kirk in there pretty much every day or, or close to it, at least at DH. So there just isn't a spot for Moreno. And, uh, you know, as as fun and great as the future looks for him and as bright as it looks, yeah, I think I think playing every day in Buffalo or playing every day in the catcher sense uh, really is what he has to do. I think that's I think that it's an easy answer for me. Yeah, I think coming in, we definitely sold ourselves on the idea that, oh, this might be three catchers down the road because of how much Kirk can DH uh, and because of the things Moreno can do. But when there isn't a scenario in the game, and, you know, Moreno has been, he's had some good, uh, you know, like running to first times or whatever, but, you know, his overall sprint speed is netting out as a sort of slightly above average. Like there isn't a, a bench utility for him. So, He's too good to just rust on the bench. Like he's only played thirty six, uh, thir- sorry, thirty nine games at the AAA level in his career. There's more for him to learn there. And maybe he goes down and absolutely dominates both offensively and defensively. Great, like let him do that. Let him gain that confidence and that experience because, yeah, he you know he's your top prospect. He's a top ten prospect in the entire league coming into the season. You don't want him doing what Zach Collins is doing now. Zach Collins is doing great at his job of doing nothing. Right, yeah. And collecting checks. <laughs> like, he's killing it. He's good. Him, for him and Zimmer are, are outstanding at that. I mean, Collins is even better at doing nothing, frankly. Yeah, he's he's one of the best. Uh, and maybe that'll be recognized when his career is over. Double you, yeah. That's not what you want from Moreno. And so it is interesting because I think that 
we and we had Zoobs, I think, on the podcast when Moreno was first coming up. And I think we we had sort of begun to sell ourselves on this three-catcher structure and the Jays don't have good bench players anyway. And how's it going to work? And we could figure it out. But that, you know, the projecting forward we were doing was kind of predicated on the idea that there would be reasons to bring Moreno off the bench. And there really aren't. There's only reasons to sort of start him at catcher and play him there all day until you potentially lift him for a pinch hitter. And if those are the parameters, keeping them on the roster with Jansen and Kirk, I, yeah, like you said, I think it's a pretty easy call and it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the Pizios has absolutely helped in that regard too because now it's like you feel like you have to get him in there a lot. And as well, the fact that they didn't keep extending the uh, uh, the additional pitchers the teams were allowed to carry. You know, now, now that they're set at 13, you have to have 13 bench players. It sort of changes how the rosters are composed, I think, and and – and it makes those guys like a Collins, like a Zimmer, make more sense. You just you you need guys, you need guys to sit there and do nothing. And and I, I've written this a couple times with Zimmer, like the, the he has you know because he's a guy that I've questioned a ton uh, over the course of the year because in the in the other kind of setup, you know, when you you want to you don't want a black hole on your bench. You don't want some you want somebody who can swing the bat. Now you don't necessarily need that. And now he fills roles. He fills a need that. Uh, in areas that the Jays don't have, like elite center field defense, speed on the bases, like uh, he at least, you know, has those two. Uh, I don't know if you ever really, like watch uh, in soccer. They do a lot of pie chart stuff where, like, you know, it'll there'll be, there'll be a circle of attributes and it'll it'll show what the you know what he's got. There, there's there's not a lot on you know three quarters of that pie chart if you do that for Bradley Zimmer, but the the elite defense and the base running speed uh, is. Is as good as as good as the Blue Jays are going to find this year. I'll say that. And also, you know, there's just no overlap uh, with anybody else on this roster. So it does it does make sense to carry guys like that. I think, and uh, and that doesn't mean carry Zach Collins. I don't think they need three catchers. Uh, I'd love to see a Benintendi or a Josh Bell or you know somebody come in and uh, and and be that lefty batter off the bench would be nice if he could, you know, spell Gurriel or, or Hernandez at times. That's why Benintendi, I think makes sense, but, um, lots of guys are going to make lots of sense for a lot of teams. There's a lot of teams in the hunt. And like we already been saying, um, bullpen has to be the priority. One side note on Bradley Zimmer. I was at the game on Saturday and I was talking to a friend about, about Bradley Zimmer. And I was saying, you know, this is, one of the most hopeless hitters I've seen the Blue Jays send to the plate in like a decade. He's not a big fan. So I'm like, let me explain to you when this guy comes to plate, just don't worry about it. Like don't put any hopes, just assume it'll be a strikeout and that'll be okay. And then some stranger sort of two seats down was like, Oh, if it's going to be really funny if you keep talking about him like that and he hits a home run and then in that at bat, he didn't. And then later in the game, he hit that big home run and it was like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, you're you're totally right in terms of the elements he brings. At the end of the day, you'd like to think you could find someone who's a little bit less of a. He is truly horrendous at the plate right now. Like it would not shock me if after the deadline passes, they've figured out different guys to sit on the bench and do nothing, do slightly more. Like it. Well, they tried to get Jackie Bradley Jr. at one point in the off season for Grichik, I believe. You know, there's a lefty hitter who. You know, plays good center field. I, I couldn't tell you what his stolen base numbers look like at the moment, but but yeah, I, I don't think they're they're like died in the wool Bradley Zimmer supporters. 
Yeah, I think the chances that Zimmer and Collins are on this roster in a month, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you if I put the line on whether one of them is, I think you'd get it above 50%. But I think if I said both of them, it would be below 50%. I think somebody is coming in um, who is going to play one of these roles. I, yeah, I think so. I, I think that's fair. I would still, I bank on it being Collins and not Zimmer. But also Zimmer, like those are the kind of guys, and we've said this before, you know, they got... Gerard Dyson last year, they got Malik Smith, like, you know, at the end of August, like, to to be speedy guys with good gloves in center field and not give you anything else. Like, that, that's not exactly uh, the rarest commodity. Yeah, there are guys out there who can do it. And, yeah, you would just hope that they can do it with uh, slightly more interesting offense than Zimmer because it been, it's been something else watching him hit. Like, you can look at the numbers and say – this is a 31 WRC plus like this is a below replacement level player. <laughs> um, but just watching him hit sometimes it really, he, he just feels out of his, like the 39, I'm looking at his numbers right now. The 39.7% strikeout rate feels really low. It like, does. Yeah. When I watch him hit, it feels like he's, yeah, I don't know. He feels, it feels like they got a guy off the street and then put him in a uniform and hoped no one would notice. <laughs> Told him to try to stand like Jeff Bagwell a little bit and, uh, and maybe something yeah, good will happen. Yeah. He's from Houston. Bagwell's his favorite player. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is an experience, but you're right. He does provide some things and it wouldn't be the biggest disaster if he sticks around on this team. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they did something else. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to touch on some of the pitching stuff that we've seen over the last little bit. We've kind of been a turn through the rotation since we last had this podcast. I don't know how much we can do on Kikuchi, but it has to be noted that, you know, right when it looked like he had the good outing and maybe, you know, he brought the cutter back and maybe that was helping him feel more comfortable. Uh, and then he was facing an Oakland lineup that was bad and had always done poorly against him. And it was a pitcher's park. Like if you could script a scenario for Kikuchi to have a good outing, it would have been that start. And yet it was the exact same stuff from him. And it's, so it was yeah, somehow worse. I think. Somehow worse. We're, you know, <laughs> we're kind of reaching a breaking point. I will say um, there's a genre of tweets that I'm not a big fan of which is the scatter plot of a pitcher's, and I'm sure I've done them to be fair, but like a scatter right. plot of a pitcher's pitches. And that has come up with Kikuchi all the time with fastballs. And they're like, this guy's got no idea where the ball's going. And like, there's a couple of things about fastballs. One, people do throw them to every part of the plate. Like it's not like a slider where it breaks this particular way and you're really throwing it to this corner. And secondly, even good pitchers, and we've talked about this before in the context of Biggio and how he draws walks even though he doesn't have that power to turn, even good pitchers miss their spots a lot. Like if you looked at a Justin Verlander fastball plot after a start, I mean, I, I know it will be better than what we've seen from Kikuchi, but I think people's expectations going into those are always too high. So people see one from Kikuchi and they're like, whoa, this is the worst I've ever seen. And there's lots of reasons Kikuchi is bad. I just don't think that's necessarily like number one. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of context that goes with those. Uh, though generally, <laughs> generally, like when the plot is on, like the little the little shadow batter's head, that's not where that, the pitch is that, supposed to be. That's an issue. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I like, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be enough time for him to sort things out, but I, I like the idea that they, you know, they were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday and it's been talked about, you know, that, that Casey Lawrence is probably going to start for Gosman. Uh, I don't know if that's been made official. That would be tonight's game. So uh, it should be. Um, and uh, and then Gosman maybe being pushed back to Kikuchi's start. Then there's an off day. They could kind of bump Kikuchi down the road. And, and you know, there's not that many starts left. Before, you know, that maybe gives him one before the All-Star break. So that's probably not just a way to limit damage, but also to, I mean, it's all dependent on whether Gosman could go on, on Saturday or whenever, whenever that, you know, Kikuchi's turn would be. Um, I like that idea. I like the idea of, uh, of, of shuttling him away a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it's going to do, but it's also like, this is, this hasn't been, this has not been him uh, in his career before. Like he hasn't been great at limiting walks. The control hasn't been, hasn't been perfect by any stretch, but, uh, but this is weird. Something weird's going on. Got to get the, they get those strings <laughs> laid out. I forget who that was years ago. There was somebody that they had working. Got to keep them in line towards the plate. Had him throwing a throwing down a, a string or something like that. I don't know if that was Pearson or if it was Brandon Morrow or what it was, but it was the, the somewhere in the the back of my memory, uh, and, and it must have been with Pete Walker because he's been here for a million years. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was ugly. That was real ugly. You're right. It was a, a perfectly scripted situation for a guy like Kikuchi to figure it out, and uh, he just can't find the release point. It seems. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to do too much on Kikuchi just because I feel like we've done it, because I feel like people have heard it. Like, he's been as bad as you possibly could have imagined. That's point one. Point two is there is real talent here. Point three is the Blue Jays have had success getting guys to figure it out before. That jumble of things has coalesced into just a train wreck um, (laughs) with enough hope that you can always say, oh, maybe he'll figure it out. But the hope is uh, dwindling rapidly over time. Maybe the all-star break is going to be the thing that gets it right. But uh, yeah, I'm getting kind of sick of saying maybe this is the thing. Maybe that is the thing. Maybe the, you know, it, at a certain point, it, maybe it's just not going to happen. And maybe it's not going to happen this season. And it's yeah. going to take a full off season. He comes back in 2023 and maybe he's fighting for a job now uh, and it gets sorted out. But it, it's getting really hard to be any kind of Kikuchi apologist at this point because he's really not providing many counterpoints for the idea that he's going to be trash at least no, in twenty two. Yeah, and the stakes are getting higher, you know, and they're only going to get higher yet. So the clock is ticking. And then before we get out of here about Alec Manoa, um, again, I don't think you're going to sell either people in this podcast and the idea that Manoa is not a good pitcher, not a trustworthy pitcher, not a front of the rotation guy. Um, but it, it is also noticeable that after being pretty untouchable early in the season, his last four starts, he's got the 438 ERA. He's given up four home runs when limiting contact has been such a good thing for him for you know the vast majority of the season and also in his rookie year. Is there anything about sort of recent Manoa that's setting off alarm bells for you, or you know, is it just part of the process of any pitcher is going to have a not great four start stretch? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily regression towards the mean, but uh, obviously he was, uh, you know, he's as good as anybody in the American League, save like McClanahan and Verlander, basically, at this point. Um, That's maybe, that's that's probably higher than anybody would have had him, I think, coming into the year. And, and, And that's with thinking, you know, a lot of really great things about him, because there are a lot of really great things to think about him. 
Um, yeah, it could. I don't know. It could just be a little bit of a, a, a strange period. I, I, you know, I've been watching the lefty split all year. That's been a, that's been maybe a thing, but I think he's he's actually done a little bit better on that in that regard lately. Uh, the velocity was something that people were talking about coming out of the last start. I think that's you know. Uh, We've seen guys go up and down all the time, and and hopefully that's just. Uh, uh, and I think he did it within the start as well. Something I noticed, you know, against John Murphy in the fifth inning, for example. I think as I I know this because I wrote it down in, in a piece earlier the week, and uh, you know he was throwing you know uh, almost touch ninety five, you know, kind of where he needs to be, and, and, and maybe a little bit above that. Um, so yeah, I think it's all there. All the ingredients are there. Everything that that made him great is still there, and. Uh, uh, it's it's just it's it's not anything I'm going to worry about, especially when, when it's like when you look at the wreckage of this rotation behind him and Gosman. Yeah, I mean, like you said, with the Bigger wreckage of the rotation behind, like if he's the guy you're worried about, you're really worried that this team is in an, the absolute tank. Yeah. Uh, the Oakland start, I think, was particularly discouraging because it's not a good lineup and it's an easy place to pitch, and he gave up two home runs. But at the end of the day, the panic button is a long way away. He's this season, he's been a starter that doesn't strike out a ton of guys. Uh, he's been below league average in that regard. And so I think once in a while, you're going to have some decent contact kind of compound on itself and give you some trouble and give you a big inning here or there. And that's part of the price of doing business. Now, with strikeout pitchers, there's a different price of doing business. It might be, oh, your pitch count's inefficient and you can only go five innings even though you wanted to have a deep start and you had the stuff to do it and then your bullpen blows up. Like there's different benefits and drawbacks to different styles of pitcher and right now his style of pitching is inducing weak contact and this you know having the occasional blip i think is just part of that yeah no i, I think so some, some some bad calls in that last one too frankly though we can always sort of uh, talk about that well, yeah uh not 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 concerned not concerned Okay, we will leave it there. Thank you, everyone, for listening in live on a little bit of an unusual time for us. We appreciate people who are listening afterwards, wherever they're finding their podcast and rating and subscribing and reviewing and doing all that good stuff. And we will see you again after the game on Sunday. Yes, we will. All right, thanks, everybody.